guy. Derek. It's pretty funny that this all came about because we were bass fishing. <laughs> um, one of the passions. Uh, yeah, uh, I would say I would say you know if you wanted to be really insightful about it, you could go back a little bit further than that. But yeah, uh, just hanging out bass fishing. This was probably like 2018. I had a medic come up to me and he said, "You know what you should do." And I was like, "I have no idea what you're about to say right now, Casey." He's like, "You should have your own podcast." And I kind of laughed, and the guy I was with kind of laughed, and everyone just looked at each other like, no, seriously. Actually, he's not wrong. And we all just kind of like, eh, whatever, man. Like, I, no. He's like, no, you got some crazy stories. So to see that you brought it up to me again when we were bass fishing, and you said, you got some crazy stories. We should just talk. Like, why not? But it's not just me. You have some crazy stories, too. Yeah, you know, we got live some life. But, um, it is, it's something I had want, been wanting to mention to you for a little bit, but I was like, man, let me, when we decided to go bass fishing, I saw it as like an opportunity and I'm like, all right, I'm really going to like really listen to how this guy talks make sure that like, before I go say something that he's going to be like, you're an idiot, make sure that I actually feel like I'm 100% on this. And yeah, sure enough. Yeah. You, you gotta, I'm, I'm really excited about this. It was just interesting when we were just sitting there and, I made the comment between both of us, how many countries have we been to? So what is that number? If you had to guess how many you have been to? Um, I know it's more than 30. And I'm thinking I'm probably right around there as well. Maybe I'm probably under, but to think like the reason why I said, let's do this, let's push forward. And there's so many topics we can go on, but I want to first start off on this with travel mm-hmm. because to think like there's just two guys sitting in a boat bass fishing. And to think that the experience that we have, especially at such a younger age, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and this is in a span of, for me, almost, almost eight years. And actually most of those countries I had visited, I had already visited prior and like within five years. So has most of your travel come by way of the last eight years or did you travel growing up? It's all been in the past eight years. Yeah. No. So I'm from... I don't want to say small town because in our county, it's the hub for the county. um, It's actually probably the hub for a couple counties. Um, And so when you can, when you look at it like that, it's like, okay, I'm not really from a small town, but it's, it's smaller than, you know, the capital where we live now, you know, where we live now it's, but. um, So what do you call small then? How many people are from your town? Oh, there's, I don't know exactly. It, it, it's enough to where I mean, it, you definitely don't know everybody, but you know, there's still a small town legends. For sure, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because I'm a, I guess maybe a step up from you. So I was born in Daytona Beach, Florida, and that's a pretty populated area, and it's mostly populated because of tourism. You have all the the different events that go on: Bike Week, Daytona 500, Spring Break, all that fun stuff. Yeah. But being a in the position I was in, I moved to Lakeland, Florida, which is between Tampa and Orlando. So once again, it's pretty populated in the sense of everyone kind of wanted to live there. So they didn't have to live in Orlando or Tampa. We're also 25 minutes from Disney world. So we had a lot of foot traffic and now it's booming. Polk County, Florida is booming. So I don't want to say I'm from a small town either, but it's very interesting to relate back to. I have friends that don't leave. I have friends yeah. that maybe they've left Florida, but they go to Georgia. 
that's the extent of their travels and to see like i'm just living my life and i'll you know post a picture of social media whatever and have so many people message me and say man you're living the dream it's like am i though like you can do it too yeah um and it's all i mean just based off of a decision we made in high school i mean (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) pretty much um which in itself is crazy to think um well just even talk about that real fast to think everything has that effect the the the, the first the second there's a a trickle down effect of your decision making so to think that we made a decision at such a young age I actually, I was a little bit older. I was 21 when I decided to, to make the decision I made. But to think, like even at 21, I'm so young. I'm a still adolescent at heart and at mind, probably. It's crazy. Oh, definitely at heart and mind for me. I'm, I'm yeah. a, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a kid who just is a lot taller now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I made that decision at 17. It's funny. I actually. Uh, the way I told my parents, I love telling the story. Um, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I got decent grades in school. I wasn't a terrible student. I wasn't all A's either though. Um, typically I was getting A's and B's, the occasional C every once in a while I'd bring home a D, but I knew if I bring home, if I brought home that D there was an ass shoe coming. <laughs> so um, you're already on track a little bit better than uh, my startup. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I brought home a D. I'm in the middle of an ass chewing, and they drive. I'm I'm a junior, and so maybe I was 16 because my birthday's late. Lit was later in the year, um. So uh, they dropped the line. You know, you're a junior. You're almost gonna. You're almost graduating high school. What are you gonna do when you get out of high school? And I'm like, well, oh, this might work. <laughs> this might get them off my back. And I was like, well, you know, I was you know thinking about doing this, <laughs> and they're like wait what <laughs> totally worked <laughs> absolutely and um they kind of like, and really they, like nobody really said anything the rest of the night it wasn't until the next day i get home from school my dad's home which was a little abnormal because he you know he had a day job he wasn't usually home by that time and he's sitting there and he says hey um come over to the couch we're gonna uh shuck some corn and i need to talk to you and he's a former he's a former marine um, and he's like, Hey, look, were you serious yesterday when you said, when you said, you know, what you wanted to do? I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty serious. You know, I've been thinking about it for a long time and, um, really lack of any, I mean, lack of options is one reason, but you know, you be, you know, you being a Marine and everything, it's also sort of part, you know, part of that, but, you know, obviously thinking about different branches. Um, and he's like, Okay. Um, a little bit, actually a little bit later, I actually, um, I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't want to join this branch. Maybe because I, I felt like like there for a little bit, I felt like it was the easy way out. And I was like, oh, man, I feel like I'm just taking the easy way out if I'm going to do this. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's go be a Marine like that. And I go tell him, hey, I'm going to go join the Marines. And he's like, sit down. <laughs> he's like, he goes, sit down. Yeah. Um, he's like, look, if you want to be a Marine, nobody will be prouder than you than me. But let me tell you what you're getting into. <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Yeah, he said, let me, he said, let me tell you before you go talk to, rec- go talk to a recruiter. I was like, 
okay. He, he basically he, he laid it out for me black and white. He's like, look, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That sounds like it sucks. <laughs> like, what, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what year was this? Would have been 2012, 2013. Okay. I'm literally just asking for reference of no, 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 where, no, no, no. what were we doing in the Middle East? You know, what were the Marines doing in right. 2013, 2012? So this is, this is right around 2012. Well, I was a junior because I went to, I went, I did 2010, 2012. no, this would have been 2011. Yeah. 2011 going into 2012. So fall of 2011. Okay. Or winter of 2011. But yeah. Yeah. This is actually so. This is actually when I also lived in Daytona Beach or Ormond, um, which is I'll, funny because how we discovered that is you gave me your phone number and I saw uh-huh. the the area code and I was like, "What? No way!" And then, yeah. So I found out you were in Daytona. Yeah. So that's a, a, a small world. Small and it gets I mean, smaller. A giant world, but it's getting it smaller. Fun. Yeah. Kind of the same situation. Yeah, I was not an all star student, unfortunately, but I had a lot of extracurricular activities I was into. Uh, just wanted to hang out with friends. I just wanted to play sports. I just wanted to stay busy as much as I can. And when I made that decision, it was because I was thinking forward into the future. I was thinking about my girlfriend at the time, now wife. And I was wondering, what is this going to look like if I was a, a server working at a restaurant, made decent money, but what kind of life is that? So same thing. I, I talked to my dad who was in the army and I presented the option of, I think I'm going to enlist. Every male in my family on both sides up to my generation has served. I think it's my time to serve as well. My brother was in the Air Force. My dad was in the Army. Both my uncles were in the Army. On my mom's side, all three brothers were in the Air Force. So I was like, yeah, it's probably the time. When I went up to my dad and told him that uh, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. I want to join, I think, the Army. Not even an ounce of hesitation. He looked at me and said, if you're going to join the Army, I'm going to kick your ass. (laughs) <laughs> like, wait what he's like there's way better options you don't want to be a joe and i was like ah, i don't pretty cool jobs in there and he's like no let's let's talk about it same thing let's go down look at the recruiting options and see uh, what what you have ahead of you i think you and i can both agree you probably made the right decision oh absolutely especially <laughs> after you know you know i love working with the other branches um in fact my favorite branches to work with is the marines i love having i love having a gunny around Cause it's like, Hey gunny, you know, I, I need motivated. Uh, oh my God. I like, I need like three dudes to help me with this. And he just goes, you three go. And they go and motivated. It's, just, and it's like squared away. Yeah. It's like, how did you do that? Like, damn. <laughs> I think what I appreciate the most is when, what the common phrase is when I say jump, you normally respond how high, but it's not that every time I've worked with the Marines, it's when I say jump, they say, was that high enough? Yeah, they they just get they, it done. they jump first. They, yes. they don't want to ask questions. They just get it done. So, nope. Yeah, um, and it's for that reason. Because and because they don't have the most technical knowledge or anything, they don't have to. I have that technical knowledge, and so do the other guys that I'm with. They just have to do what we ask them to do. And and that's not do. necessarily don't. I don't want to have that sound like a bad thing either. No, because no, it's no, no, not. No. It's not at all. That's why they have my job is yes. for that technical knowledge. Yes. I just wanted to clarify that. Well, yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, their technical they, shit, they can outshoot me. That's their technical knowledge. They're shooters first. Yeah, no, they, 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 I, they whoop my ass in the firefight. For sure. <laughs> like, or, that's their job. Yeah. yeah, that's their job. Absolutely. So, so I mean, it's definitely going to be one of, it's definitely one of those situations. If we're, you know, under attack and I find myself next to a Marine and we're 
given way and I've still got a few extra rounds and he runs or a few extra mags and he runs out. He's going to look to me and say, give me those. I'm going to say, yes, sir. Take them. <laughs> They're yours. Yeah. So you just, I've had, that's, that's part of it. Knowing when, knowing, know your, know your role. What I can appreciate though, is the, all my friends that I've had that join the Marines who have since separated, even though like my wife asked me, she's like, if you get out for whatever reason, would there be animosity there? Would you be mad at the Air Force? Say you you serve however long and you get out, you don't make it to retirement. Do you think you'd be mad at the Air Force? Like if you denied the booster or whatever and they kick you out, would you be mad? And not, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Let me think about that. But when I ask my friends who all served in the Marines and are out and I ask them, what's your opinion? Are you still in love? Are you angry? Are you just whatever? And every single one of them are still a proud Marine. Oh, for sure. And I, I love it. I uh, hear this quote every once in a while. And I'll probably butcher it is um, the army is the only real, I think it was like the army and the Navy are the only real branches of military. The, uh, the air force is a corporation and the Marines are a cult. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing is, if you say that to a Marine, every damn one of them will be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> well, that's what's interesting. So uh, at the end of the air show, uh, it's Sunday. Everyone's closing up. They're leaving. Yeah. Well, I go ahead and walk over to the fighter jet area and I wanted to go talk to one of the pilots over there that, uh, I actually kind of in a roundabout way, I worked with him before. So I went over oh, to yeah. him. I just want to say hi to him and whatnot. And while I'm walking over, I noticed that there's a guy wearing a flight suit walking behind me and I like to make conversation with everyone. So I stop and I'm like, Hey, what did you fly in on? And he's like, well, actually, uh, I'm a crew chief on, uh, the Harrier over there. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, you work on the Harrier? That's that's awesome, dude. You know, like, so wait, how do you like the Marines? You know, and first thing out of his mouth to brotherhood. I love it. Yeah, like, good for you. Like, I yeah. love that you immediately responded with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, you know, air show. I mean, they're gonna have oh their, for sure they're, they're gonna have their motivated <laughs> individuals. Also, they're gonna have sure. like they're gonna have the recruiting. I mean, but you know, but it's still true. Um, even though like you know that it's a recruiting pitch, but no, it's it's still true. So it's pretty awesome. I was just going to say it also was coming off the heels of the, the Harrier performing. So you see mm-hmm. that thing come to a hover and it's just yeah. blasting. And you're just like, that's impressive. How does that thing just sit there and hover like that? Yeah. And just talking to him afterwards. It's like, man, are you sad? It's not going to last forever. He's like, yeah, it's my baby. That's all I've yeah. done my entire time. I'm like, well, what's next? He's like, well, we're already starting to look at the F-35. So probably get pulled to that. He's like, yeah. but I love this thing. Good for you, man. Yeah, I, my favorite to watch at an air show is the uh, F-22 demo team. That thing is badass, man. Oh, for sure. F-22 demo team is just, it's loud, it's fast, it's just... It, you it feel it. Cool. it. You feel it. You feel it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's in your chest. It's pretty awesome. Did you get to watch any of this air show? I got to, I watched, I made, I made a point to watch the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds on that first Friday. I made a point of that. What do you think? Thunderbirds blew away the Blue Angels. Yeah, yeah. The um, so I was really excited growing up. I the only demo team I had ever heard of was the Blue Angels, um, but I had never seen them before this air show. And I remember, I, hell, I remember when I was living in uh, Florida and you know in the Daytona area, and they actually had an uh, Embry Riddle was put on an air show. And at the time, we had a boat. We're out. We watched the air show on the on a boat in the ocean. It was fucking awesome. Um, and um. I had never even heard of the Thunderbirds, but that's who was performing. I had, I'm like, and at the time I'm thinking, who in the hell are these knockoff Blue Angel wannabes, right? And then I see him, you know, I was pretty badass. That was cool. And then 
later, so many years later, you know, hell, what is it, 12 years later almost, um, for the first time, finally getting to watch the Blue Angels with the F-18s. And I see them first, and I was very underwhelmed because I because I've been to a few Air Force air shows at this point in the career, you know, showing off the airplane, and um, so I've seen the Thunderbirds quite a few times. So I'm used, kind of used to that. It's still awesome to see them, regardless how many times I see them. But um, I'm expect like it's that childhood mentality again. It pops back, pops back up like, oh, these are the Blue Angels. These are the guys I've heard of since I I can't even remember how old and then I watch him and I was very disappointed I'm like damn I'm like I thought because I, I had high expectations for the show for the, just those two by themselves because I thought I'm like man these it's this almost never happens that this was like the first time I think it where they have it where they were both at the same show and um I'm like man it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle of the branches they're gonna go all out and everything and Thunderbirds definitely went all out they were yanking, banking. They were going fast. They were loud. You you felt it, and it just seemed like the Blue Angels weren't. It, it, they were. They, they were. It just seemed like it was, it was a little lackluster. It's funny that you say that because that was on Friday, correct? Friday, yes. So I was up in the tower watching it. I went up and uh, stood on the catwalk, and I looked behind me, and some higher ups were up there, and they actually were there to, I guess, just to be part of it, to watch and just support. And it's the guy that owns the tower. Well, he was up in the tower we're talking to the controllers and you come down. He's like, Hey, uh, kind of funny. And this was still the blue angels are performing. It's probably like 35, 40 minutes into their performance. He's like the, uh, the controller up there, the guy that uh, is like evaluating the air show for them. He is not happy. Granted, this is Friday. This was not the air show. This was technically their practice. Technically They're practice, just, yes. everyone's practicing. Right. And he was like, he's not too happy with them. And I was like, how can you not be happy with this? It's amazing. No matter how you look at it, I don't care what you think. Still happy I got to see him. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. From a aviation or not standpoint, just to watch that happen, to see how close they're actually flying, it's amazing, right? I was just sitting there, and I kind of chuckled. And I was like, think of like the debriefs they're about to have. Oh, my goodness. Because, I mean, they have long debriefs. I mean, it's a 45-minute show. And they're probably going to debrief for four or five, six hours. Yeah, for sure. Which is crazy to think. I mean, and that's just like on the reg for them. Even like even when they're not doing the, even when those pilots go back to their regular F eighteen jobs and they're not like Blue Angel, like actively in the Blue Angels, like they and they do training sorties, they're still going to debrief that long. Well, even for, what's for amazing like is long flight. is that it, they might not even fly an F eighteen. That's right. what's crazy. Just even think of like our Thunderbirds. They're not all F-16 guys. No. And now gals that's they're pulled from a community because they're probably a, a test base. They have flown multiple aircraft. They're all stars. And then they go and try out. You have to try out. You have to be evaluated. You have to go to a board and they have to, are you the one? Can you be Thunderbird too? It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's like anything else, right? You have to try out. You have to show your worth. Can I do the job? But to think like even that top tier, the best of the best pilots that we have, and they're still about to get debriefed about, you mess this up. Mm-hmm. I feel that's with anything, right? Yeah. You think you crush it. You did an amazing job. And someone evaluating you is like, no, bro, you messed that up. Well, hell, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in a reference to college football. Uh, Nick Saban, greatest college football coach of all time. How you can argue greatest football coach of all time period um hell they'll 
whoop Vanderbilt 60 to nothing and there'll be one play or something and he will be pissed about it. And like, he's like, nope, gotta be better. And just like, well, I mean, in one, that's why he's a fucking seven time champion or whatever it is now. (laughs) But um, yeah, this is like the same kind of thing. Were you around when the general was here? This is on a a tangent for sure. But were you here when uh, the general was here doing his tour last week? I don't think so. No. He had an all call, and oh yeah, I was, no, I'm, no. I'm interested. Let me go hear what he's got to say. And someone asked a question, sir. What can we do to be better at our jobs to make sure that we're satisfying the need of the Air Force? And as fast as he could respond, a four star straight up looked at this young guy and said, "Don't suck." And <laughs> Don't it blew, suck. I was looking down as soon as he said that. I was like, "What? <laughs> what did he just say?" And I look, and he's like, "I, I, I didn't stutter. Don't suck." And everybody was just kind of taken back by this. But then he explained, just like we're talking about right now, is just do your job. Don't take stuff personally. It's not a target against you. It's that we're trying to better that position. Right. 60 to zero. And you go get yelled at in the locker room because you messed up one play. Oh, yeah. You're going to get, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like what Jordan used to just yell at people at practice. Everyone thought, yeah. you know, he, he was such a nice guy. And then you, did you watch the last dance? Um, no, not yet. I want to. It's great. It's great. And they, yeah. they actually have raw footage of him at practice, just yelling at everybody, yeah. calling him out, just airing out all the laundry. It's like, well, you got to do that sometimes to be the best, right? So to be the difference between the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds, who who's better? It's amazing either way. Yeah, and like the great ones, I mean, they're 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 a little crazy. I mean, you have to be. Yeah, it had to be a little crazy. I mean, because you, right? you have to be different. Yeah. So, yeah. And and that's the that's the same with everything, you you have to be different, for sure. And because if you're the same as everybody else, you're average. If the only way to be different is, you know, or to be the top is to be different. So but to go back to the original topic, because we just went on a long tangent I was there. Saying, that was a long tangent. What were you? I, hey, I'm about? a I'm a fan. We're just <laughs> talking. So. What brought this whole thing up was that we were talking about that it's pretty impressive that we've gotten to experience as much as we have in relatively short time. Like you said eight years and mm-hmm. eight I'm years about, in September. Yeah, I'll be at eleven in November. So pretty crazy, right? So you, together we may have checked off what fifty, fifty-five countries. So the reason why I wanted to do this initial podcast, sit down and just talk, have a discussion is I wanted to hear your side of coming from where you did in life and the first time you realized that you're not in Kansas anymore, right? <laughs> right. The first time you look around and went, whoa, this uh, earth is a lot bigger than uh, what I imagined. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're out of your comfort zone. Maybe you are, uh, maybe not. Maybe you think this uh, this is amazing and you're caught up in the moment, right? So what is, uh, my question would be, I guess, what is that first experience that comes to your mind where you realize that all those choices you made to get you to this point were the right choices because this is amazing? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so me, so my first, we're not in Kansas anymore moment. We'll, we'll, we'll do that first um, because my, oh my God, this is amazing moment is a little bit different. Um, so... Growing up, we moved back and forth between Florida and Ohio quite a bit. 
Um, I say quite a bit, and it was like two or three times, which I mean, decent amount. It's still um, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so I had been up and down most of the eastern, you know, most most of the eastern side of the U.S. But um, so my back to the original question. Um, on my first mission, um, we went to you know we stopped at a couple places in the U.S. and then we ended up, we went to Spain for a quick stop. And that was cool, you know. Got to you know sun, drinks, food. It was a good time. But the first time it actually happened was actually when we got to Kuwait. Um, I'm standing next to the door of the airplane, and the air and the door opens, and the old, the only way I can describe that feeling of when that door opened is when you know how when you're cooking or you're baking something and you open the oven, you just feel that rush of joy. It just hits you in the face. Right in the face. That is exactly how it felt when that door opened to Kuwait. It was just... And I was like, what the fuck? Where am I? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. I'm, like, I'm like, people live here? Are you kidding me? <laughs> as soon as that ramp lowers, it sucks all the cool air right out. Oh, and you're my like, There's no getting out of it instantly sweaty yeah. um so that was definitely my first like what the fuck is this like you know i am not in kansas anymore dorothy or toto sorry don't want to mess that reference out that's a classic <laughs> um but um i think the first time and, and, and then i was still in, i was still in training at that point that way you know like that was my dollar ride. um i think the um first time i really realized like okay this is pretty fucking cool um, we were, uh, doing, we, we were doing a kind of staging operation kind of thing. We were moving, um, e uh, helicopters from one place to another, um, to, from one place to a combat zone. And, uh, we had already made one trip from, you know, where they, where we were taking them from to the combat zone and back. And we were on our way, or we, we had just, you know, we, so we were coming in for the second time. And also, this is my first time ever in a combat zone, by the way. I had never I had never been to any of the combat zones before. So, or, it, you know, at the time, pucker factor is real. Just because I don't know what to expect. You know, and as time goes on, you realize, okay, you know, not oh, things aren't as bad as they might seem sometimes. But anyway... Second time we land, I get there and I see one of the helicopters, and I know it's one of the helicopters that we that our group transported is flying around. And I'm like, damn, that's like 24 hours, and it's already flying around looking for bad guys. I'm like, that is that you know, that's pretty fucking cool. So I think that and again, still in training at that point. So they they both hit relatively quickly for me. I would say my you? story is a, a little different. Okay. It was not to a deployed environment where the first time that I, I realized like this is different. I had moved to England and where we moved is a very Americanized area of Eastern England. And it was our first like maybe two weeks of being there. Very stereotypical England, by the way, you don't see the sun, you know, it's been foggy for eight days. Uh, it was in the middle of winter, so not a lot of a sun in general. But you're talking like it doesn't get daylight till nine; it gets dark at four thirty. 
So we just, uh, for about eight days, sat in the, the hotel room while I'm uh, in processing or figuring life out. And then it was a Sunday. And we said, hey, let's actually get out. Let's go drive around. Let's see what we moved here for. So I did some quick searching and realized that only like an hour north is a castle. That's pretty cool. So we hop in the, the car we just bought, a beat up old BMW, but right-hand drive, manual. This is crazy. So we just started going on the backcountry roads. We get up to this area where there's nothing. You're talking to sheep fields and that's it. Winding roads and the occasional house in the middle of a field. And then GPS is like, hey, make a, a left here and the castle's right on your right. So we make a left and all of a sudden through the trees it opens up and there's actually like a small village here. So we get out and we walk around the castle and it's nothing. It's literally just the foundation from something's been there a thousand years ago. So you just see like stones placed in a field pretty much. And then we went around and saw this old church that's been there for a couple hundred years. And we're like, all right, it's cool too. Well, hey, what's a, maybe there's somewhere to get lunch here. And of course, GPS doesn't work. We're in the middle of nowhere. But we turn a corner and there's a, the only pub in this whole place is called, I think it was like the Ostrich or something like that. We walk in and it's like a scene from a movie where if there is a record player, it stops. But, yeah. you know, there's like a low chatter going. We open the, the old wooden door to walk in. It's my wife and my daughter. There's a, a fireplace. We're keeping everyone warm in there. You know, it's drafty, just nasty, you know, just everything you want, everything you think a, a good pub is. And we walk in there and everyone just kind of casually just looked at us. I'm like, do we, you know, we look like you. Like, what's going on? You know, like, why is everyone staring at us? And we realized, like, no, we're still dressed like Americans. You know, we're wearing blue jeans and just a, just a North Face jacket or hoodie or whatever it was. And then we realized we look around, like, exactly what you think nowhere in the middle of england would look like so we walk up to the bar and we're like hey can we can we just uh get something to eat it's sunday and she's like uh, actually we're booked we're fully booked like, you look around and there's like three families in here and you're like what do you mean you're fully booked she's like yeah you're just i'm sorry we don't have room for you I'm like come on we're hungry you know it's we see a table right there we'll eat quick and we'll get out of here she's like you will eat quick like, yeah well i mean as fast as you can get to our table we'll eat and get out of here she's like okay so we sat down you know, we ordered our drinks and told them exactly what we wanted already. And I'm just sitting there talking to my wife and daughter. And I look and these two older British ladies. They're probably in their 80s are just not eating anymore. They're just staring at us. And I'm just kind of like uncomfortable, you know, she brings the beer to the table. I start drinking my beer and I look and they're still just staring at us like what's going on. This is weird. And finally, one of them was like, she's adorable. I'm like, excuse me. She's like, uh, your daughter, she's adorable. And I was like, okay, they're, they're nice. They're trying to make conversation. And uh, just talking with them after that, just getting to know them. And them telling us, like, as soon as you walked in, like, you don't belong here. We knew you're an American probably, but after talking with you, like, you're really nice. But for her just to be like, I've been here my entire life, 85 years or whatever it was, just sitting, you know, in this village, I go down to London every few years. I don't get out of here. So to see you guys come walking in and for my family, for me to sit there, like, yeah, we're definitely out of our comfort zone here. <laughs> you know, like luckily we speak the language. Luckily we, uh, we had the currency. We, we yeah. could get food, but it was just one of those things. It was very weird to just feel like I'm out of place. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable everywhere I've ever been in my life. And in this moment, yeah, we're not in Kansas anymore. Like I said, it, it's kind of a funny story just because it's, it's England. It's nowhere crazy. You know, it wasn't a, a combat environment. I wasn't somewhere where we didn't look or sound like everyone else. 
but just to see that we were the ones to standing out is kind of like, well, that's kind of like a, a shot to the gut right there. Mm-hmm. And so I guess more, I, I guess I'll go back on my story because you said something that reminded me of this. So again, um, same trip, the, you know, not in Kansas anymore. It's in Kuwait. We actually spend the night there. Um, and there's this place, there's this place on base that we stay um, or we used to, we don't anymore because thank God. Um, <laughs> anyway, we walk through the door and it's, there is a bunch of people that, uh, Again, it's a big group of people. They're waiting for, they're actually, I think they were all waiting for a bus to go to uh, an airplane. Um, but we walk in and again, everybody stares. And this is probably their group of anywhere between 50 and 100 people. And just everybody's staring. Just like you, just like you said. Yeah. And um, even like throughout the entire time that we're checking in, like eyes on us the entire time. And it was just like, well, this is nerve wracking. Again, this is my first time ever being out of the country. And now we are in the Middle East and, you know, young kid who has heard stories about everything that goes on. And you, horror stories, too. Yeah, well, yeah. Horror of stories course, they're too. never good. Yeah, no, right? you don't hear anything yeah. good about the uh, about the Middle East, unfortunately, which is unfortunate because I've met a lot of nice people there sometimes. But, I mean, you know, stories happen for a reason. Um, but um, you get 50 to 100 people just staring at you and you're like. Well, this is interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. and so you want to check in quick and get to your room and lock that shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, been there, I, I've been in and out of the Middle East. I don't know how many times, you know, no issues with, you know, direct contact with people anyway. And that's what's interesting is living over in Europe for three years. How many times I invited friends, family, just come over. You have a free place to stay. Buy your flight. Everything else is taken care of. Everything. Mm-hmm. And then even like my own dad was like, why do I need to go over there? Like, why wouldn't you? Europe is amazing. Mm-hmm. Just, well, I don't need to go over there. You're crazy. This, like, like you said, the Middle East, somewhere where we already have like a uh, unconscious bias of like, we already know what it's like. Then for you to be over there right. and you're like, it's actually amazing. The same, yeah. all the places I ever went, I have yet to have a bad experience somewhere where I'm like, no, I would never go back there. Yeah. Um, almost, you know, just about every single person I ever, I have encountered is in the, you know, we'll stick with the Middle East. Um, incredibly hospitable. Um, it's the you know, unfortunate that, part is it's not a bad place. It's the bad people. Right. And now, however, and those bad people probably at one point were very hospitable to in to trick whoever they had to trick but yeah. and so you know you always have to worry about you know that was always something in the back of your head but um i've never i guess i've never had any issues with anybody uh, as a matter of fact there was one time um i was i, I was in iraq and there was uh the, they had some locals working on base and they were helping us out and they actually did a great they actually did great work they were fantastic um there was a language barrier um, but for the most part, they could understand me and I, it, it didn't interrupt any kind of operations or anything. Um, I was able to, you know, everything went off just fine. No issues. And afterwards, you know, I was like, all right, you know, Hey, good job. I'm, I'm trying to be nice to them. Right. I'm, I'm trying to be as nice to them as people have been to me, you know, kind of pay it forward, you know, I pay it forward kind of thing. And, you know, I go to give high fives. Right. And they're, they look at me weird. Like the, fuck are you doing <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and i look at him and i'm like i, I kind of 
you know, raise both my hands and like clap them together. You know how you like you demonstrate, you know, demonstrate a high five, high five yeah. demo, yeah, like, high five. You know, you give them quick, and they're like, you know, and they high five me, and then they're like, oh, okay, cool. So and then they all line up, high five, high five, high five. Now they all got smiles on their face. You know, we took a group picture together. It was pretty cool. Um, but it's and it's funny, like a lot of these places, there's a language barrier. But um, one thing that is almost always universal body language and they could tell through my body language, you know, demonstrating you know, I was happy. I, and that's all, that's what they cared about. They cared about me being happy. Um, and that I was satisfied with what they did, which is funny. Cause it took a high five to do that. Right. Yeah. And it was all it was. And they're like, and they, they're like, Oh, okay. This guy's smiling. This is, seems like something that he does in his culture, but yeah, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know what that yeah, yeah, mind yeah. reader, but yeah. And then everybody else was like, Oh, okay, cool. But yeah, body language is just one of those things where like it's almost always universal. It's, and that's the one thing that you like translates everywhere. And that's what's funny because if there is a language barrier, it's interesting to watch people communicate with their hands. Yes. I can't communicate any other way. So I'll move my hands around right now and express myself and mm-hmm. normally gets the job done. Right. Pointing at things that are common to both cultures and things like that. Uh, it was funny like i always joke when i go to uh, like well, you know when i go to spain it's like yeah i don't know the language but i know the two words i need to know cerveza and baño <laughs> Beer and bathroom. yeah for so, sure and, and then if i if i want something to eat i'll just point at it <laughs> on the menu <laughs> pointy talkie spain's so, a funny one you talk about a culture shock is when it's 7 30 and you're hungry uh-huh. and you think i'm just gonna go walk and go there's a restaurant around the corner mm-hmm. and you realize like no dinner doesn't start till nine Restaurants don't open till nine. Yeah, yeah, it's it. And, but they stay open till two. But you're just like it's seven thirty. I'm hungry, and you realize no, they don't eat until about eight thirty nine. Yeah, and you mentioned um, when you were talking about when you got to England, um, how the area immediately surrounding the base it's more Americanized. That's everywhere in Europe. Yeah. Um, so if like you it, like so if you really want to experience, you know, the real version of that country you got to go outside that area get away yeah you gotta you gotta you have to go get you, away you gotta go like 30 minutes away how um, many how many people did i know that moved over to england and chose to live on base we lived yeah. 45 minutes away great great area oh barry st edmunds love it but to know that there are people that live on base mm-hmm. like why there's a, a burger king you know there's the bx there's american plugs I'm just like, that's not enough to get me to live on base I moved over here for a reason. So to live 45 minutes away, to be away from the Americanized area tenfold. Since we're talking about England, one of, I think one of my, I think my favorite experience in England, um, it was really cool. Uh, we were actually operating um, a presidential mission. I think this was, this is when Trump was president. Um, we, uh, you know, we roll over there and we had actually, have to stay pretty far away from base just because everything's booked. Yep. Um, and actually we ended up staying very in a very, very nice hotel first off. And, but it was very close to Cambridge university. Um, and I, I, if I would have thought about this beforehand, I would have, I would have Googled the name of the, of the bar, but there was this bar that is known that was known back in, for being back in the day an aviator bar. The pilots from World War One 
would gather and drink there, which you know, us being aviators, we're like, fuck yeah, we got to go there. I think it's called it's called like the Eagle Bar. Or something it's like called that. the Eagle, yeah. So it's right out in front of um, uh, what is that? King's College. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's right across the street from there. So you go yeah. into there, and they all signed their names on the the ceiling. Mm-hmm. They actually, you can look. They've uh, depicted it now because it's been fading since World War Two. But they actually took one of the barkeeps or the barmaids, and they held her up to the ceiling. And how they signed their names was with candles. So as the the soot or the the smoke burning on the candle, they would sign their names with candles. So they actually held this lady up to the ceiling and did her outline with a candle. So as it burned and it burned the ceiling, you can see her outline imprinted on the ceiling. I didn't see that while I was there. That's cool. But if yeah. I ever get the chance to go back, I'll look for it. I love when you walk into that specific room. Right. And there's so many other things attached to that pub. Like that is where they announced the discovery of DNA. Like think of that one. Wow. Think of that one. That yeah. At King's College, they discovered well, DNA, what it was. And then they'd walked across the street, the four of them, and they were having, you know, a pint. They were just hanging out. And they're like, we got to tell the world. So they stood up on a table and said, we discovered something today. We were calling it DNA. And they literally have a placard on the wall that this is where it was announced. And you're just like, so, so that's crazy, right? So much history in that place. Amazing. Um, and, and like and even the original found, parts, parts of the original foundation are still there. You can see them. You see yeah. the, the, the bricks with the wood and, the, and everything. Yeah. Super cool. It was actually the first time I ever had a Guinness uh, in uh, Europe. And, uh, and it tastes better oh my god yes it's so good <laughs> straight from the tap <laughs> yes. you just like you put that back and you're like damn that's a good guinness yes thicker well, I, I had never yeah. really i had never really uh tried it i uh, honestly I, I never gave it as new um but you know i showed up at this bar and there was really nothing else that i wanted and i'm like oh i know what guinness is i'm like ah oh, fuck it we'll try guinness Tried it, loved it. It was great. And every and now every once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll have a Guinness. And even then, to actually go to Ireland and go to the Guinness Brewery and have one there, and they'll pour it straight from the tap right at the Guinness uh, Brewery. And you're, even here, it tastes a little different too. Right. And then you have it when you're back in England or wherever, and you're like, it tastes different here. And you come to America, and you're like, it definitely tastes different. You just right. got to think it, it's, it's sat for a while, you know, through shipping, whatever. But yeah. Ice cold Guinness. Nice. It's good. It's good. Absolutely. You ready for this fun story? Okay, I was saving this one you said about Spain and that moment when you realize, like, not that I'm not in Kansas anymore, but the uh, this is amazing. So the first, and I've had a few of those, but the one that stands out the most in my mind is <laughs> I decided one year that I am going to go do running with the bulls. Oh God! <laughs> I was uh, sitting deployed. Hold on, and... hold on, I'm sorry, real quick. Before you get into the story, were you intoxicated when you made this decision? Not at all, actually. No, <laughs> okay. no, no, no. Like I said, I'm sitting, de- I'm sitting deployed, right? So it's okay. about two, three months into this deployment. You know, it's pretty low ops tempo, and just kind of perusing the internet one night, and it was like one of the tabs that pop up when you open up a, a browser window. You know, it's like MSNBC or whatever, right? The headlines. And one of the clickbait that got me was the top 25 destinations for 2019 or whatever it was. So I click on it and it had all these things. And it said um, uh, the, the next tab when you got to the bottom was events. And I just looked and it showed a guy running beside a bull. So I saw the top 25 places. I'm like, I took a couple notes, but it was the guy running beside the bull. So I opened up the link and it said one of the best things to do in experience in life is running with the bulls, Pompolona, Spain. And immediately I was like, I got to do that. Like, I'm doing it <laughs> without even thinking about it. I just saw him like, I'm doing that. Yeah. 
And the guy I was sitting beside actually looked around at my monitor and he was like, oh, running with the bulls. It's amazing. And I look, I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, I did it. I did it a few years ago. It was crazy. Especially like you're not supposed to do it drunk. Of course, uh, I was hammered and decided that this would be a good idea and got through security. And I'm just like, wait, what security? And he educated me 100% ran everything down of what to expect. So I, I that day, I literally emailed my wife and I was like, uh, hey, babe, you know, checking in. Love you. Uh, I have a couple things planned out and I'll, uh, we'll talk about them next time we talk on the phone. So sure enough, it was like that morning because of the time difference. She calls and we start talking. She's like, hey, what do you mean? I'm like, well, when I get back, we're immediately going on vacation. And uh, I want to go run with the bulls. The first thing out of her mouth is like, you're dumb. Just straight <laughs> up shut down that idea, you know, like, no, you're not doing that. And I was like, wait, no, like I'm definitely doing it. She's like, no, we're not doing that. And I'm like, well, let me uh, do some more research. And I'm just letting you know, like we're doing it. So I get back from deployment and, you know, I'm on R&R and it's kind of lining up. And she's like, well, what are we doing? And I said, well, believe it or not, you know, in, uh, in six weeks time uh, is the the ceremony. You know, they're, uh, it's going to be a week long celebration and uh, running with the bulls. And uh, I already have it all planned out. And she's like, no, you don't. Like, I do. We're going to fly into Madrid. We got a rental car. We'll drive up. It's like three and a half hour drives uh, into Pompolona. Well, I already looked at a hotel right on the outskirts. I already have it all planned out. We're doing it. And she's like, I don't think like, number one, like it's smart. We have a, a five year old. Like, well, you're not going to be running with the bulls. You know, she's not going to be running. It's me. I'll, uh, trust me, it's going to be okay. And she's like, and two, are you actually allowed to do that? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, how much of a hazard is that? Like, you talk about that risk factor. Like, you should probably like clear that through a couple people. I was like, oh man, she's right. You know, I can't just, yeah, I can't shit. just do that, right? Damn, like, maybe, wait a piss in my Cheerios. Maybe so I, I was like, have this all the way planned out. No, not yet. But uh, so I did a little bit more research and actually reached back to that guy who has done it in the past. And I was like, yeah, actually, she's right. I got to clear this. So I went to my commander. And what's funny is my wife thought it was a bright idea to give me a training experience before I do the run. So for Father's Day gift, she actually uh, booked a private matador training session. And even this was already sounding a little sketchy. And the story's about to get really good. So I was like, all right, yeah. So that way I can train with a bull first. And then uh, that helps me uh, understand and I can go do the run. What a great way to spin it. So I go to my commander and you have to fill out that high risk activity sheet, you know, in case you're hurt, the TRICARE covers you and all that. So I go to him and I was like, sir, uh, and he saw right through the bullshit. He was like, you're going to uh, Madrid uh, this week. And I was like, uh, yes, sir. You know, and he's like, oh, isn't that like uh, the running of the bulls? Is that ceremony, you know, around that time? I was like, yes, sir. So we're actually, actually, we're going to drive up into Pompolona and just kind of check it out. And I'll make the decision once I'm there, but I put on my high risk activity sheet, you know, bullfighting. And he was like, you actually have bullfighting. How about you say, um, uh, what's bullfighting, bull riding, like anything bull, like, what are you doing? And I was like, actually, I'll come clean. I can't lie to you. So, uh, I stood in his office. I was like, here's the way I rationalize it. Uh, my wife booked me this matador training session. That way I can kind of get some experience. And if I feel the need, I will do the run. And he, once again, it's all through the bullshit. He looked at me and he was like, don't get hurt. He's like, Roger that. <laughs> he signed it. And I left and I was like, I can't believe he just approved it. Hell yeah. Great commander, by the way. Yeah. So uh, sure enough, we land in Madrid, get the rental car. We drive up. Driving through Spain is amazing. You know, three hours of seeing real Spain, real countryside. And you're just like, man, what I love about Europe is it's America 
on like a larger scale, but like each country is condensed to a state. So Spain would be what I would call like Arizona. So just driving through Arizona or Utah, you have the mountains, it's dry, it's amazing. So just driving through Spain, I'm like, I, I could live here. And then you just come over the little mountain range and you find yourself in Pamplona and already, you know, you see everything, El Toro, and you see all the bowls and you see everything. Oh, this is awesome. So we got to the hotel, went to sleep, woke up the next morning and we met a bus on the outskirts of town. And it was one young kid wearing all white with a red scarf with a sign that said Matador training. And I was like, hey, is, are we in the right place? And he spoke very little English. So we get on the bus. I look around. There's some obviously other Americans. You know, you can already point them out. And I was like, hey, babe, this is how people get taken hostage right here. This is exactly it. And she laughed. And I was like, yeah, yeah this is funny, isn't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we get on the bus. And he was like, uh, flashbacks. <laughs> he's, all he said was one hour. He said one hour and we're like one hour. Oh, one hour bus ride. Right. So we get on the bus and we start driving back out of Pompolona going into the countryside of Spain. More flashbacks. And I'm like, this is literally babe. And I'm like nudging her. She's like, stop. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just letting you know, you know? So sure enough, we, uh, we arrive at this mansion in the middle of nowhere of Spain. We get out and gorgeous house. Amazing. And we get off the bus and the biggest stereotypical drug lord is standing right there to greet us. You know, he's got the the hat on, his shirt is buttoned all the way up or down to his belly button. You know, he's just big aviators on. And I'm like, babe, they hustle drugs here. I guarantee it. And she's like, no. And then a guy standing beside me overheard me. He's like, no, they don't know. There's such a market in bulls here. Obviously, that's what he does. And I'm like, yeah, wink, wink, you know. <laughs> and so he was like, amigos, you know, come in, come in. So we go into his mansion house. And in the middle of his house was a bullfighting ring. And he would have all standing around and he gave us some uh, sangria that they already had and, you know, some appetizers and whatnot. This and is how you get drugged. <laughs> literally, I'm thinking, I'm like, drink lightly, babe, drink lightly. So we're just hanging out, you know, having some tapas and drinking sangria, having a good time. And he said, uh, your training session starts now. And I'm thinking, like, is he about to release some bulls? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and his son come around the corner with a wheelbarrow that had bull horns on it. And he presented the cape. And he's like, I'll teach you how to do it. And you go do it. In very broken English. So we're like, oh, okay, whatever. So he goes ahead and uh, has his son charge us with the wheelbarrow that had horns on it. And he taught us how to drag the cape and where to hide. And taught us just kind of like the, the makeup of what a bull does and what it, how it's going to act with us being there and so we're all like high-fiving cheering laughing drinking you know pounding some sangria at this point when i realized that maybe we're not going to take hostage and then we all turn around and he goes all right first demo is my younger son uh he's learning um bull dance and i was like bull dance what is that and his son hops down in the ring and they release this bull and th they do a huge release the bull you know and we're all hyped up and this little calf comes out that's maybe a hundred and no, it's probably 200 pound calf. You know, it's still a big, it's an animal. It, yeah. And I was like, kid. oh, for sure. And this thing comes out charging out of the gate and starts running in circles and starts screaming the loudest bull scream. And we're all standing there and it would stop and you'd see it contract its whole body. What is going on? This thing just screamed. And his son, nothing just that wearing uh, his football uniform or soccer you know shirt runs out there opening his hands like a cross 
and starts teasing this bull and it just starts hoving the ground, snorting and screaming at him. And it takes off and it charges him. And his son runs as fast as he can and parkours, hops over this freaking bull and does like a flip over him. Well, literally flip over him, hits the ground, rolls and stands up and everyone's cheering. And I'm like, that's what we're trying to do today. <laughs> like, I didn't plan for this. I started like, should I stretch? Like, what's going on? And so they put on the show and the whole thing is uh, they actually had a real matador who has won trophies and accolades and all that for being one of the better ones. Uh, he's been retired since and trains people. So he goes out there and, and I realized, oh, they're tiring this thing out. That's what they're doing. And this thing is still pissed. It's snot flying everywhere. Like, damn, that thing's not tiring. And so they're like, all right, uh, uh, it's been long enough. First one, first, uh, who, who's up? And I'm like sneaking to the back at this point. I'm just like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to keep drinking maybe, you know, relax a little bit more. Like, I'm not getting out there. I think still hyped up. And this guy standing beside me goes, I'll go. So he runs out there and I'm like, oh, this is easy. And I see him dragging the cape and all that. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll do it. So I hop down the ring and my wife's cheering me on, get out there, get out there. And I look and this bull is pissed. It's still mad, you know, hoving the you, ground. You went from this is easy to. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. And I look and she's like, go. That's why we're here. Go. And I'm like, you get out here and do it. And everyone's laughing, you know. And so I get out there and I realize like, it's still a bull. Like even 200 pounds, it's bigger than me. It's angry mm. and it's been trained already. This young of a little calf is still trained to understand the dragging of the cape and everything. So anyway, long story short there is that it was an awesome day. You know, I was in the ring. I did like three or four little sessions with it, dragging the cave and it running by me and everything. And then we stayed and watched his other son, his youngest one, now that the bull's tired. And it's probably like 98 degrees out. It's so hot. And this thing's dying of thirst. His calf now at this point, his son gets out there and his younger one, and he starts dancing with the bull. So you're like, man, this whole family. So we just hang out with them and still drink and eat and all that stuff. And he's like, all right, good luck tomorrow. And I realized like, yeah, he's well aware. We're all going to do the run tomorrow. So we go to bed and I set my alarm and you have to get up so early. Like even the run, I think starts at, I think it was like eight maybe. And I was on the bus to get into the city at five in the morning and there's a line. Everybody's going to the city. So you show up, you have the course. And like I said, security, literally security, um, all the, the police walking up and down you can't have your phone on you. You have to have running shoes. Uh, you can't be drunk. And people are still drinking. It's just a party, right? Everyone's drinking through the night. People are passed out in the streets. And they literally check every person. And what I found out later is if you run and you pull out your phone to take a, a selfie or a video, they will fine you like 10,000 euros because you're endangering people's lives. So they'll confiscate your phone. It, it was a pretty big deal. And I'm like, man, they're pretty strict about this. And then this guy standing beside me wearing a 49ers jacket. He's probably like 70, 72 years old. Looks at me and goes, oh, your first run? And I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, I can tell. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> All right, hey, how, how are you? And he's like, I've been doing this since like 1975. Every year I come over here, I just something I've always done. I'm into it for the, the running with the bull part. But now it's so like publicized and commercialized. It's not sexy anymore. He's like, all right, so I'll give you a hint. It's your first one. So when the sound goes off, they light a, a firework and you see the mob start running. When you see the mob, don't wait to see the bulls because when you see them, it's too late. They're so fat. They're lightning. He's like, so when you see the mob running, start running and make your way into the middle. And that's how you get to run beside the bull. I'm like, all right, cool. So they start saying the, the chants and the prayer and the firework goes up and then my heart just dropped. I was like, this is real. The gate flies open and you look down the alleyway. I was up on a, a corner and you see the mob 
everyone just running and seeing the the look of death. You know, they realize they're running for their life. And they release the bulls. I'm just staring at him like, oh, this is real. And I almost froze. And I was like, wait, what? And the guy's like, go. And he smacks my back. Go. I take off running. So I take off running. I'm looking. All Everyone's wearing all white, you know, with the red scarf on it. And I'm just staring at people's backs. I'm running. I'm running. And I'm like, I should be making my way to the middle. And by the time I look, there's two. These bulls are beside me. And I'm running beside this bull. And I look over and I realize I can reach my hand out and touch this bull right now that's pissed. And they're mad. They're so fast. They're angry. Oh, there's another one and another one. And you realize there's about eight bulls and I'd start dipping over to the right more to get away from them. And I, as soon as I do, I turn around and a bull was right behind me. I was about to get trampled. So I immediately peel it off to the, the right against this wall and I hop up onto this like doorstep. And I look and this bull was, it would have, it would have trampled me, dude. No problem. And so I get against the wall. My heart's pounding. I'm freaking out. Oh, I just ran with the bulls. And then everyone starts cheering. So you start, uh, you start walking and looking around and immediately all the ambulance, all the EMT, uh, all the paramedics start showing up and I'm looking around and it's chaos, dude. There's five, six people just laying on the ground. I just realized there was a mash trampling right behind me. It's crazy. I took a step back and I realized like, I'm an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Should have saw that coming. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I didn't. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, well, no big deal. Yeah. Anyway, you continue. So, long story short, I was like, should have saw that coming. I'm an idiot. But that one, and even like looking back on it, talking with the wife, of all the places we've been, all the things we've done, she was still like, that was one of the best, best trips ever. And she didn't even do it, you know, and uh, just being there, being a part of the celebration. It was right. amazing. And then later that day, we actually went and saw the bullfighting took our daughter we thought is this wrong taking a five-year-old to go watch it but you think it's part of their culture Mm -hmm. and this is a probably a deeper conversation but it's hard you know it's you watch them kill bulls well i'll I'll bring that into the origin or i guess i should say the uh um the heart, what what is probably going to be end up being the heart and soul of this podcast, right? It, it's going to be generally outdoors, with the exception of, you know, some stories. Um, and in our culture, the first time I ever went hunting was I was five years old, um, and that was squirrel hunting. And that is, you know, my I because my you know growing up, I always saw my dad. You know, my dad would always go deer hunting. I, you know, he'd go somewhere and go, hey, you know, I want to go. And he, finally, I bugged him enough about it, and he's like, okay, you know, what, I'll take you, but. First, we're going to make sure you can actually sit still on something that I'm not going to be very upset about if we, you know, if we miss one of those squirrels. But same thing, you know, bring um, all over the country, people will take their kids out duck hunting, squirrel hunting, deer hunting, rabbit hunting, whatever it is. And you're, you know, you're taking life. Just like I mean, now it's not quite as violent. It's not near as violent as uh, bullfighting or a anything show, like that. A show of slaughtering bulls, yeah. Which, and let me, like, I guess clarify on that. I am in no way, shape, or form PETA, right? Do I have a heart and do I feel bad for them? Absolutely. But when I found out later what they would do with them is that there's so much revenue that they get from people paying to watch Heritage. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. Who are we? What? Who's, who are we to even, like, try to even say they shouldn't do that? They've been doing it longer than we've been a country, right? 
And then the second part of it is the actual county or the city pays ridiculous amounts of money for these bulls. So the guy who taught me how to fight a bull, he raises them, sells them for ridiculous money. So now he's giving back to the community or they are giving back to the community. So after they fight the bulls and they kill them, they take that meat and they actually give it to homeless shelters and like organizations and they're feeding people with it. So I look at that and I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like I said, I took a five-year-old to watch it. Right. So I, I just wanted to clarify on that because like you said, you're taking a life. You are. And that's the, I don't know. It's one of those things about hunting. Um, for me, it's the, you know, it's, it's the chase, it's the food. But during that whole process, especially with deer, um, like white-tailed deer, um, you respect that animal so much because especially your first one and then even then even then everyone after that because of the experiences that you've had either going after it or going or with it or anything like that and then also once you get it you know what it means you know you're using like awesome you know what, and what you've accomplished for sure when you look around and you see a mount on the wall i didn't kill that animal i didn't take its life so it'd be a mount Something that was instilled in me very early was every animal you harvest, you're harvesting it and you are going to utilize it. You don't just go out and slaughter. You don't just go out and kill. That serves no purpose for anyone, anything, right? So I had a friend growing up that his uh, family had access to a lot of land in South Central Florida. I'll never forget. I think we're just going to go down there and just like have fun and just murder hogs. I'm not young. I'm naive, right? And I use those words loosely. Because, like I said, later I found out we weren't just going down there and shooting hogs. No, his dad was very staunch to the fact of everyone you take, you harvest, and you, you're going to consume. And it's, it's eye-opening because you realize, like, to take one animal is work. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. The whole process. There's nothing easy about it. And that's where that respect comes from for that animal. Like, um, you'll hear guys like Steve Burnell when he encounters, like, you know, anti-hunting individuals. Um, he and he's completely right. Um, he, he'll tell them like, I can guarantee you, I know more about every animal on this planet than you do, especially the ones that I hunt. And I also respect that animal more. You spend time. I mean, you spend time in the woods with with animals, whether and sometimes you don't know you're spending time in the woods with these animals because of how stealthy they are. You know, one of your greatest fears is one of the stealthiest animals on the planet. Um. And then, and, that, and that's where that respect comes from. Um, the time that you have put in, in chasing this animal and uh, everything else that goes into it. And then when you finally do, you know, reach that ultimate goal and you harvest it because you, yes, you're harvesting this animal. Um, to go, you're, very, you're very appreciative. To go back to that story real quick about being in Spain, watching the bullfights, there was three matadors and they get two bulls each. So we watched six fights. And it was the last one to actually see that this isn't like a, a game. It's not a show to see that this human has put his heart and soul into this one specific bowl in this moment. Cause his life is on the line too, right? He's not safe. There are things they do. They can enhance the effect of it. But to see that the very last minute when this bowl is, it's toward the end of its life. 
this matador got on his knees and knee walked up to this dying bull that's standing there. They could still kill him. It's still a bull. And he knee walked up to it and kissed it. And to see like, was that for show? I'm sure some of it, right? But they respect the animal. There is a matter of respect for it. Their whole livelihood is based around that bull. Mm-hmm. He respects it more than what any of us can understand. Yes. So I'm in the same boat as you as every animal I've ever had to, to utilize, to harvest. There's a massive respect factor there because it's yes. giving us everything. Yeah. Um, one of the things that actually the one, something we did this past fall, I, I, I won't, I only got to harvest one uh, deer this year, but I'm again, pretty happy with that. I'll be happy if I get one every year. That'd, that'd be awesome. But um, what we did was once we got the meat back, we, if we were cooking in the house, we did not buy any red meat. We did not consume any red meat in the house. That wasn't that deer until all of the meat from that deer was gone. Because I wanted to, because I wanted to ensure that we ate every bit of this. I want every bit of that meat. I wanted to make sure we ate. I wanted to make sure that none of that went to waste. And it, it, it lasted us. Let's see. I could probably got the meat back in November. It lasted us. Or it would have been early November until February. And it's very interesting when you make that mind switch to your life is now dependent on that one animal. I had a friend I used to duck hunt with who he would always. On the drive out to the blind, he would always be, I got to get a deer. Uh, I got to get a deer. We have to have meat. I don't have enough meat. And in my time being now new into duck hunting at this point, I would always leave that laughing. Like, man, doesn't he know he can just go to the store and go buy some beef? You know, like there's pork. You, you have options. You're not out of meat. And he would always say, it, man, I got to get a deer. If I can get a deer and I can get about, you know, uh, if I can get 80 pounds of meat, they'll, they'll ask this at least through the winter. And I can worry about like spring bear. And I'm just like, bro, you can go to Walmart. But I'm in that old mindset of, yeah, you do have that option of go buying beef, pork, whatever. But now to see like the extreme end of it, where I was telling you the story of uh, one of my old mentors, how he has now gone, I want to say to the extreme because I'm a fan that he's utilizing everything he's to the point now where he's actually taking roadkill. That's a little extra. It, I, maybe, right? I mean, I, I get, I, you know, I guess, it, I mean, again, depends on, depends on the culture. But when you see that he just got a hundred and what, I think he's at a hundred, 110 pounds of elk meat. And you're like, we're in May. We're in May. And he just got 110 pounds yeah. of elk meat. Like that's pretty, that's amazing. Especially when you look and you're like, he has all the videos, he has pictures, he put it on uh, shout out to Swenson, survival school, literally 100 pounds of elk meat in May, fresh kill. That's awesome. Good for him. I wish I had 100 pounds of elk meat right now. Absolutely. Um, But think about that commitment, right, to understand it is roadkill. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you see it get smoked or has it been laying there for a few hours? Yeah, you have no idea how long it's been there. But that's why you inspect every inch of that. And once again, going back to that, you respect it. Um, Actually, one more note real quick. When we talk about respecting animals, what was the question I asked you about? What do you do with your bass when you release them? Oh, kiss them. <laughs> I, I didn't know what you would think of me when I asked that question. Oh, no. So it was funny. Um, oh, hell. Where did I start doing that? 
actually, you know what? I'm pretty I'm 99% positive. Um so when I was a kid, I think I already told you the story. Um my grandparents, they had this VHS tape of Bill Dance's fishing bloopers. And <laughs> um yep. I'm pretty certain I saw somebody on that kiss a fish. And they lived on this in, you know, they they lived on this lake in Florida. Um or they lived on the canal that was connected to the lake. It's a short canal, but yeah, but um so from then on, every time I caught a fish, I was mimicking that, and I just kissed. I would kiss it, and then I would always go chase my grandma and try and kiss her because she just thought that was disgusting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially like bass that smell. Right. Yeah. I'm like, come here, grandma. Whatever. Because yep. <laughs> she thought I was disgusting. Um, just to mess with her. But and then now it's carried on to the point to where my wife, um, I taught her how to fish. And I taught her when you catch a fish, you kiss it before you let it go. <laughs> and she Absolutely. Does it. Yeah. And, and now she loves doing it. She's thinking, she thinks it's awesome. Um, but uh, it's – yeah. it's Like I said, I just did it first, and I wanted to see if you even noticed. And I turned around, and that's when I released the, that first little bass. You know, I let it go, and I asked right. you that. And I was like, I wonder if you saw me do that or not, which I have a whole story I want to tell you about when we went bass fishing. But anyway, uh, to think that – why do you do that? Well, you did it because you saw it on a Bill Dance blooper reel. I mean, I'm trying to think was the first time I ever saw it or did it. And I can't even remember. I'm just thinking I've always kind of done it. But then going back to that, I respect it. I respect that bass, that animal enough to, it gave me that 15, 20 seconds of thrill. You know, you feel the bite. You feel the bite, right? And you're like, "Oh, oh, 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 the line's getting tight. And then you set the hook and then your adrenaline pumps and you're, it's on and you're fighting this fish you bring it up and then the the process of either take a picture get the hook out whatever and then instead of just throwing it back i was like i'm gonna kiss it you know hey thanks that was fun i enjoyed it you know i had fun let it go so the story i wanted to tell you about i actually told someone this at work the other day when we went fishing i had a whole plan in my mind that i was going to troll you because i've never fished with you i've never hunted with you and I was like, I don't, he just assumes maybe that, you know, I'm an outdoorsman, of course, because uh, of my job by nature, but maybe just assumes, uh, you know, I enjoy fishing. I don't know. So my plan was that I've talked to you about it, but we've never been together. So I wanted to troll you. So I wanted to show up with like my ultralight spinning reel and I wanted to hold it at the bottom. And like we talked about, literally hold the rod upside down upside so the down. eyes are on the top, you know? <laughs> and then I wanted to hold the the reel backwards and I wanted to like literally troll you. And I know I'm going to catch a bass. You know, like I said, I kind of felt like an asshole later when I was very, I would say, pompous about my bass fishing. But I was like, I know I'm going to catch a bass, but I want to make it like over the top. Make I'm it look, do, make it look like, like I'm, you don't know I'm what the fuck pure luck, dude. Like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just showing up. Like yeah, I know what I'm doing, man. And but you and like kind of like and uh, you're just slaying them, and I'm just like what and the sla- fuck? exactly. <laughs> yeah, I do. You getting mad? And I, like I said, I know I'm gonna catch or at least get bites, right? And I wanted to be, like tease you and just be like, ah, what's what is he gonna think? But you saw how I acted as soon as I got on that boat. We pulled into that little canal, and you're like, yeah, let's go ahead and put the anchor up right here. And I tossed out a few, and I was like, no, we gotta get moving. Yeah, there's it's something in here, right? The sun's yeah. coming up, and then I was, as soon as I was like, hey, I'm gonna start trolling them. And it was too late. It was too, I was already in that bass fishing mode. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I told you, it's four years. I, I've gone. I'm not gonna lie. I've gone probably bass fishing twice in between. I came back to America when my mom passed away, and one of the first things I did was a friend was like, hey, we, let's go out, man, and we went bass fishing. And I was like, what a great way to just relieve stress. 
So, like I said, I, I've gone probably twice. Only like one time, though. One time each in four years. But to see like, all right, four years, I have this boat. We have a pond. I have all of my lures, my stuff, because my stuff was all in storage. It's like, let's go. So as soon as we got on that water, we hit, you know, that that first little cut. I was like, now we got to get moving. Mm-hmm. So I grabbed that paddle and I was like, it kind of feel me like an a-hole that I'm just taking over your boat right now. But I was like, no, we got to get over here. Let's go to this side. But one of the things I'm, I, I try to be really good about, and I, I feel like I am, is um, like try and realize when somebody knows more than you. And it was very quickly. I could I could tell very quickly you knew more than me. <laughs> well, it's not even that I know that much. It's just something I've done so much growing up. But what was funny is after I caught that first bass, I released it. I looked at you. And if you remember, I was like, hey, are we just trying to have fun today? Or like, you're trying to catch some bass? And you looked at me, you're like, we're trying to catch bass. And then I was like, okay, let's talk about it. And I just started telling you every fact that went into that bite to me catching that fish. And then I was like, so after that, I summed it up with, so please, if you just want to like relax and kind of hang out, I'm, I'm willing to do that too. But if you're trying to catch fish, I would talk every bit of what just happened so we can replicate it. Yeah. Um, hey, if you don't mind, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to go use the bathroom real quick. Okay. Yeah. We'll, uh, you cool we'll, with take that? A, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back. much appreciated and we are back from uh his potty break (laughs) old potty break actually we should probably clarify real quick that we're doing this in my living room so when you heard the dogs bark because the family came home yeah yeah i mean hey that's part of it you know it's not like we're big time podcasters right now we're we're first episode ever we're just chilling we're just just, for fun yeah 
Yeah, man. So back to what you were saying about the bass, though. If you remember where you were at, probably not. I remember. Okay. I asked you though, like I said, do you just want to chill and you know just uh, fish, or are you actually trying to catch some some bass today? Always trying to catch bass. Always trying. And actually, I'd say uh, it was a pretty pretty damn good day. Yeah, we each had three in the boat, and you had a few extras uh, trying. Spit the hook. Yep. Got them up to the surface, and uh, the one I was just messing around with, I was just trying to get it into that little flat area, and just came up and spit the hook right at me. All right, one one last quick thing, and then we'll get finished up. Um, just for a little bit of history for each of us, when did you start learning how to fish, or when did you? I'm sorry, when did you? What was your first experience in the outdoors, and who taught you? I've been very lucky in my life, and I tell a lot of people this when I, I teach my one uh, water survival lesson. I'm pretty lucky in the sense that growing up in Daytona, that my dad was a deep sea captain. And he'd even stay in the game long after I was born. He, uh, he got skin cancer pretty bad. But my dad has spent, he claims, up to this point, 38 years being a professional fisherman for private commercial charter fishing out of Ponce Inlet, Florida. He used to run long lines for like commercial fishing and he would go pull 10,000, 15,000 pounds of grouper out of the Atlantic. Well, after doing that, when you see all these photos and I'll show you photos later, man, they'll blow your mind. And you see 55 gallon drums up on the dock filled and overflowing with grouper and you realize he's like that was just one hole and we dumped all that re-ice stuff and went back out for another four days you realize like my dad knows these spots and he has showed me his books uh that are just in his garage and he he's given me a few of them so it's very interesting though to see the technology how much it has changed you know we have lat long mgrs amazing gps systems and he's like back then it was all the ran and fathoms and old sailor talk but he spent 38 years fishing so you gotta think and i explained this to you when we were fishing that no matter what you or how you look at it he is a fisherman so can that knowledge of saltwater transfer to freshwater absolutely because you understand a fish a fish is a fish is a fish right they're a little different how a bass acts and where it spawns and growing patterns and versus a marlin yeah that's different but I've spent quite a few trips, not as many as I would like, believe it or not, with my dad. And that's pretty much where my love for the ocean came in. Every time I went over to my dad's house and I would go fishing with him or surfing or well, just anything, just being in the water. But now later in life, we're probably in middle school and a good friend of mine growing up where they were lucky to have a boat. And every weekend, man, every weekend we're out at Tampa Bay. We'd go out and would start flats fishing. So we're catching you know, trout, some snook, flounder. Like, oh, we can get a little better at this. And we start catching some lady fish, you know, and you're like, oh, we could just use this as bait. But we didn't know. We didn't know. We're just trying to have fun, trying to catch some fish. And then they started getting to the offshore game a little bit. You know, let's go offshore. And now we're catching bigger barracuda. And, mm -hmm. and I always said, like, my dad is on the other coast. All we have to do is run up to Daytona, just get my dad, or maybe let's have him come down. Never did it. Yeah. We used to run down to the Keys every year, go lobstering, 
every year sportsman seat or a sportsman day or weekend, whatever it is, you get the right. two days where you can go down and so we used to run down there and go lobstering and fish, of course, while we're down there, shark fish and just have fun catching barracuda and whatnot. So much fun. So every day after school, living in central Florida, there's a pond somewhere, mm-hmm. throw a line in the water, get your bass and go to work. So that's pretty much where my love came from, from my dad. It's literally in my blood. And then from there, just it's a passion, right? Something I want to spread to my daughters. Yeah. Um, How about you? Yeah. So for me, um, I think my first experience was, and I can't remember exactly. It was either squirrel hunting with my dad or uh, fishing down in Florida with grandpa. Um, but I know for, I know for a fact, my love for, you know, what came from fishing um, originally when, because so growing up, um, I never actually hunted on my own or even hunted where I was holding the gun until I was 12 years old. Um, and it, I got to do that for one year and I really only got to go out once that year because in Ohio, the gun season is very short um, and it's shotgun season. It's only shot. It's like, well, at the time it was only shotguns. Cause you're not allowed rifles, right? No, it's yeah. yeah, no. Um, so anyway, and we only got to go out once that one year and then the next year we moved to Florida and it was just like the Florida deer compared to the Ohio deer. It just was not worth all the crap you had to put up with mosquitoes, spiders, freaking pants, whatever. Right. Gators. Gator. Yeah. Gators. That's no, a not, real thing. Yeah, yeah, gators. <laughs> Alligators not, are real. It just wasn't worth everything we had to put up with. So what's the alternative fishing? Um, so that's when it really started to kick in. Um, every weekend, it, actually through most of basically through eighth grade all the way until we moved back to Ohio, which would have been middle, midway through junior year. Um, almost every weekend in the summer, I went to go fishing and bass fishing with grandpa. I didn't want to go hang out with whoever from school. I didn't want to go hang out on the beach. And if I did hang out on the beach, I had a surf rod in my hand. Um, eventually, well, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself because it, you, it's funny. You mentioned it, it is a progression. So it started like, oh, wow, you know, I really like fishing. Let's go. I'm going to go back to grandma, grandpa's house. Um, want to go, oh, you know, and then I, I remember, I, I remembered right now i vividly like i mean very uh i can see it plain as day as if i was it is happening right now my very first bass i ever caught on a lure that in that feeling um and i and for no pun intended i was hooked the first time i ever (laughs) got him right the very first time i ever caught a bass on a lure i i was hooked and i and i remember like I said, remember it like it was happening right now. So I, I caught that bass on a white spinnerbait with a little blue underbelly, um, double blade spinnerbait. I told you, right? And then we go back. And my grandpa was like, hey, you know, let's celebrate your first bass. And, you know, and we went to go have breakfast at the uh, little uh, diner nearby. Um, and then from then on, it, it just progressed, right? And then it got to the point where we, you said, you know, you know, you know, going out to Ponce Inlet, we go to a disappearing island. Everybody's hanging out, playing cornhole and everything. Like, where's guy? Oh, he's over on the other end of the island fishing. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, yeah. And I was like, and at the time, I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to catch a bull shark. Now, little did I know that my little ass rod was not going to handle a not, bull shark, but I'm mean, not fit for it. Yeah. No, <laughs> was not going to happen. But, um, but yeah, that, that was my, you know, that, that was just what I enjoyed and it eventually progressed. And then finally, um, we moved back to Ohio. Um, for whatever reason, uh, couldn't never did get the chance really to go hunting again. Um, 
And then it wasn't until actually I got stationed here where it was really the first time I actually got to go hunting, like deer hunting um, on my own, like legitimately on my own by myself. Um, I was basically teaching myself for the most part. I mean, I actually, I mean, I had my dad, you know, a couple of things from my dad and I would talk to him every once in a while uh, or, you know, regularly try and pick, pick some things, but for the, for, but for the actual in field, the field stuff, I was teaching myself. Um, and this was probably started in 2016. But you gotta think there's pros and cons to that, right? Mm-hmm. There's pros and cons to learning on your own mm-hmm. versus someone just showing you everything. You're making your own mistakes. You're learning via hard knocks, school hard knocks. And not saying that someone's showing me how to do something is necessarily wrong, but what if they're wrong? Right. And I don't know anyone else. Right. And you, you think what they're saying is gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to get down in this drainage. You got to walk the thick area, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, or I could not do that. Right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But you don't know. You don't know. So that's why it yeah. sucks when you're by yourself learning on your own. And but it, you quickly learn what works and doesn't work. And it finally it took it took me three seasons before I finally got my first year. Um of just of of a failure, of making mistakes, of frustration. And we were talking about appreciation earlier. Those three years have made me appreciate these deer so much more than I hundred percent. If I would have gotten one my first day, who knows? Right. But now like I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell. Oh, this story. is easy. Right. I got right, one my yeah. first day. Yeah. yeah everyone it, should do this. Now I'll tell one more quick story before we go. And um, so, right. And this is actually happening. Like the, the story is still progressing. Um, What was it? A couple days ago over at a friend's house and they have a teenage, they have a teenage girl living with them. Uh, she, they were running around the woods. They come back. She's holding a shed, antler shed. She's and she knows I hunt. She's like, "Hey, what is this real?" I'm like, "Fuck yeah, that's real." Where where'd you find that? Right? She shows me real quick, and then we actually we end up finding a skeleton with, and then a little bit like ten yards to the left, an intact buckhead, non typical seven, pretty decent for these parts, right? Pretty solid deer for these parts, and but she found it, and I'm like, "Motherfucker." I'm like, well, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I I know a guy who euro mount, who can euro mount very well. I'm like, I'm gonna get this thing euro mounted, but then she's like, I get to keep it, right? I was like, uh, I'm like, you, you don't appreciate. I'm, I'm like, man, you don't. I'm like, I, I so badly wanted to be like, fuck no, yeah. because like I know she doesn't have the appreciation for it, but she's very excited about it. She's interested in it, so I want to I want to peak that. I want to keep peaking. I want to peak her interest and. In, keep her interested in it. And, you know, also there's also being the bigger person aspect of it. Like, you know, you're the adult, you're the older person, be responsible about it. And I'm like, yeah, you can have it. But so when you, so anyway, once this Euro amount is done, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to hand it to her. I'm going to tell her like, if for, if you ever think for a second that this isn't cool anymore or that you don't want it anymore, you're going to throw it in the trash or you're going to let the dog chew on the antlers. You better fucking call me. Yeah. yeah, I I want this thing. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, you've yeah. seen my office, right? right yeah. <laughs> Look around even here. I love, yeah. I love it. Right. Like it's matching awesome. moose paddles right there. Absolutely. To find those. Right. I have that same appreciation, but funny enough, I mean, I can tell you hundreds of stories right now about shed hunting alone, but I used to work with a, a, a civilian and he didn't appreciate them. And he, he yeah. was so good at finding them. He knew exactly where they were. He, he's like a dog. He would just walk on a game trail and be like, yeah, there's a, there's a shed on this trail. I know it. And you'd pick it up yeah. and he would be like, oh, all right, you want it? He didn't care about him. Yeah. Crazy. 
yeah crazy um, it's yeah again it's just i guess i don't know maybe he just didn't he's never struggled trying to find them he does does he hunt no for him he was like it's, probably, it's, it's bone what for him that's in that's all he i remember him saying this he's never it's chased bone. these things no so exactly he's like it, i don't get it man like why are you guys oh, obsessed is. about this it's bone it's cool bone though right it it's sheds it's, it's what it's the symbol the symbolism of it for us it so. literally leaves this animal every year and it grows back bigger yeah that's awesome which that in itself is just incredible but yeah but yeah all right well this hour and 28 been, yeah but we're at an hour 28 right now it's, this is a pretty lengthy conversation but uh, I, I i just it just dawned on me we did not tell anybody the name of this so we are the outsiders um it's gonna be the outside or the outsider podcast however you want to fucking pronounce it i don't know we'll work on that but which is funny because so many times i was like i felt like an outsider and it's yeah. like I, I, you could easily drop that in i kind of like we are the outsiders that's kind of nice yeah. but yeah outsider anyway, podcast outsider podcast or the outsiders but yeah whatever um if you if you listen to this and you like it let us know if you listen to it and you don't like it just act like it never happened or maybe absolutely give a, <laughs> or maybe give us a little bit of uh, constructive criticism um regardless we will appreciate the fact that you listen to us sit here and bs for a little bit um or you know we got we, we both know quite a few interesting characters we're gonna be bringing them on in the future get some fresh stories fresh voices on here for you guys um and also we're gonna try and keep up on uh you know maybe some outdoor news and things like that um but uh, other than that man, this was fun. This good time awesome yeah for this sure good as i could have hoped for sure. We'll get better. We'll get better. Absolutely. Always do better. All right, guys. We'll see you later. See ya. Later.